promoting female musicians and artists. Today, I'm joined by Brianna Carlishaw of now Sydney-based electro-pop project Featherstone. Brie, welcome to Women Who Rock. Thank you. This project, Featherstone, <coughs> began, I believe, in 2015. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us, so from the genesis of this project, can you tell us about how your grandmother was really important in the uh, how this came to be, this particular project? Yeah, so um, before I left for London, I was doing jazz under my own name, Brianna Callishaw, and I released a few albums under that. Um, And when I went to London, I didn't really realise it at the time, but in hindsight, I must have just needed a big fat break from jazz because I didn't really realise that I was, you know, putting that on hold per se. But when I got to London, I really wanted to embark on a, a slightly more poppy project, I guess. And it did take me, I would say, about eight months to work out what that was going to be because, you know, it was so far from what I'd been doing. So once I kind of worked out what sound I wanted, which was very much influenced by the London kind of pop scene, I guess, I realised that I it didn't feel connected to my jazz stuff. So it felt like it would be weird to kind of put it under Brianna Callishaw. So I wanted another name and I thought about it for quite some time and then realised that... Um, yeah, my grandmother is is an artist and she she's an, an etcher and she is a yeah, she's my best friend and a huge part of kind of motivation for me artistically and her maiden name is is Featherstone but with an a. Actually, you pronounce it Featherstone. Um and I don't know just having that name be the project or a version of that name felt very much like she was a part of it, if you know what I mean, like her energy's in it just because of that name and it just felt like a nice nurturing, um, I don't know, environment to build something upon. She doesn't really get it, to be honest. She's 96. Okay. She's crazy awesome, but she doesn't fully understand what Featherstone is. Okay. <laughs> I've tried. <clears throat> but Oh, you've tried to sit her down and explain the concept. She's the most wonderfully crazy woman in the world. I love her. She, I think she just doesn't understand why I've called it her name. She doesn't really know, you know, she... She can't really understand how much of an influence she's on me. So I think she's just like, that's an interesting thing to do. Right. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> so is she still doing etchings? She is. Her eyesight is going now a little bit, which is, I mean, still amazing considering she's 96. 96, right. So she's doing a bit more um, painting at the moment just because that doesn't, like etching is so detailed. Like she uses this tiny little tools to like, yeah, she does um, the bush. So it's just like these leaves, like these tiny little leaves and flowers, and it's the most detailed thing ever. So, yeah, she's doing she's doing painting. But she still has her printing press, which she wheels around herself. Like she's literally a little grandma warrior. I don't completely understand what etching means. So um, her type of etching means that there's like a surface and you're etching into the surface. Her surface she uses is metal. And then she etches oh. into the surface with like a scratchy tool. She puts it in acid and where the scratchy tool went, it digs into the metal and creates a little crevice. And then she puts ink on it and the ink goes into those crevices. 
Right. And then she puts in a printing press <clears throat> on paper. And where the ink was in the crevices, it goes onto the paper. So it's sort of a combination of a physical process and then a chemical process as well. Yeah. And I guess you'd have to understand the relationship between the two. Definitely. I mean, yeah, she's been doing it since my dad started school when he was five years old. So she, well, this is going to test my mouth. Quite a while. <laughs> Very long time, basically. Right. 50, 55 years. And is she in London? She's in Sydney. She's in Sydney. Okay. Because yeah. you mentioned you've been in London. Yes. You were I there for, I think, three years? Four years. Four years. All right. Just got back in June. Can you tell me about Camden? Camden? Did you hang out in Camden much? Why did you ask about Camden? Because I was in London in April. Okay. And I went to Camden <laughs> basically every night. Really? To a place you staying called... near Camden? Not really. Okay. Uh, well, sort of. I was staying near King's Cross. Okay. The first time. The first time I was staying in like the, the southern land somewhere, kind of far southern away. Southern land? Like south Just of the river? a little bit south of Yeah, like 10 minutes <laughs> The south. southern land. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like a southerner. But the second time I was near King's Cross Station. Okay, yeah. So that's um, north of the river. And then yep. Camden is a bit more northwest of there. Camden is a really kind of, I would say it's the closest thing you'd find in Sydney is probably Newtown. Mm. Like it's a bit... Um, Indie, cool, a bit punky times, um, a lot of music going on with like, I mean, all of London has every genre of music in like every suburb. It's kind of nuts, but there's a lot of jazz there. Um, a few kind of bigger venues. They've got the O2 Academy there as well, which is. <laughs> I was going to yeah. a place called uh, Spiritual Bar. Mm-hmm. It's this tiny little bar. Is it near the canal? Oh, I I don't know. <laughs> I went there at night time okay. every night. <laughs> okay. And it was so good. It was, was it what was the genre of music? Blues, mm-hmm. soul. Oh, I think I know where that is. Is it is it got a stage that's right kind of near the door? At it's, it's kind of the door? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And it's very small. That's opposite the Camden Assembly, which I've done a gig at, but I've been there before. And they do lots of open mic nights there and stuff there. Yeah, and they yeah. have this like the stairs go up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if there are 30 people there, it's very full. Yeah. And I went there, cool basically every time I was there, there were 30 people there. Yeah. It was great. <gasps> no, it's a really cool vibe. So that's, I mean, you mentioned that there's sort of pockets of every kind of uh, suburb has a pocket of a type of genre. Mm-hmm. But it seems as though you went there doing jazz and then you came back as an electro pop artist. It's weird, actually, because my friend Gavin, who I play, he's in my... We do a lot of jazz stuff together, Gavin Ahern, and he's also now in my Featherstone band. And he said to me, like, I can't really fathom that you went to London, you were there for four years, and you didn't put on one jazz show. Like, as soon as I got back, I've already done, like, five jazz shows. Right. So I've got, like, my jazz outlet, and then Featherstone is my more pop singer-songwriter outlet. And it's weird for me to think as well, but I just, I must have just not, like, you only have so much energy to give, you know what I mean? And I just was pouring all my energy into songwriting and co-writing with other singer-songwriters and trying to understand that world and, and trying to get into production and and just trying to get this kind of singer-songwriter solo show off the ground, you know, was kind of everything I had apart from working and being in London and travelling. and Being cold. Being cold. It's cold in London. It is cold in London. It's very grey too, but it's also, I don't know, it's pretty special. It's got a, yeah, it's a nice... It, I actually really wasn't ready to leave, but... Now being back, I feel so right being here. So, don't know. Okay. It's all a mystery.
threads were hanging. You are not just a musician, though. You're also, I mean, for the single Jackson, you did the painting. I did. For the artwork. Yes. I see, I saw that you've been posting painting as well. Yeah. And you said something which I found really interesting. You said that the idea when you're kind of doing this and focusing on a painting, Mm -hmm. time dissolves Mm -hmm. and goes away. Yeah. I kind of feel like that when I come home from work come home after a long day of work and I just sit down and play guitar. Mm-hmm. So can you take us to, I guess let's get into the moment of being in that headspace where time starts to devolve, uh, dissolve. Can you, st- can you give us an understanding of how that yeah. feels? I mean, there's not, like even in the creative sp- process, there's only like specific times when that happens for me, like um, practicing for a gig doesn't really happen like you can but for me with the music thing it's like when I'm in the middle of writing a tune and I can't stand up like I don't have any I'm not thirsty I'm not hungry like the world isn't a thing Mm. (laughs) because you're so focused but like kind of emotionally focused I guess rather than intellectually focused I mean probably a mixture of both but it's such a like you're so drawn into this idea of just trying to solve this little mystery which feels like you you can't step out of it do you know what I mean and with painting um it's the same thing where it's so it's so visual and it's so intuitive like you have to just go you have to keep going and keep putting paint on the canvas and for me that's really scary because I don't know shit all about painting (laughs) I really don't and every time it's actually the reason why I'm I'm doing painting is partly because I did it at school and I really miss that creativity but also my grandma goes to this um, art workshop which she's done since she started and I am now going there but in a different class so yeah it's just that it's a, it's a terrifying thing but it's really you have to keep telling yourself like no one else can do this but you just keep going and it's the same thing with songwriting you reach a point and you're like I can't think of a word I can't no chord sounds good next to the one I just did and then but the only way out of that is more into it if you know what I mean and that's where you get lost is where you're just like committing to the experiment of it like an obsession. Definitely. And that's why it doesn't happen all the time because you have to be ready to just keep diving further in until you're kind of like, I did it. I finished. But <laughs> you don't you don't have control of that? You can't just say, I'm going to experience that at 7 o'clock tomorrow. It's more, it has to be a combination of the mm. universe for you, some kind of alignment of something. For me, for it's just turning up. Like... I can put in my diary, I'm going to songwrite at 7am, but like, you know, shit happens. Sorry again. I quite swear quite a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's when I get excited about things. That's a good thing. But you know, like you're hungry, so you go have breakfast instead and then your mum calls you and then you really have to go to work. So no, nah, it's gone. But like, it's just about turning up because once you turn up and turning up and then being willing to have that attitude, because there's days when you just, you reach the, the sticky point and you go... I just, I'm just going to throw the towel in today. I just can't, I can't do it. Mm. I'm actually doing this really interesting thing called the I Heart Songwriting Club. I don't know if you know it, but it's basically an online uh, community of people. You sign up to 10 weeks and it's about six to 12 songwriters and you have to write a song every week in one hour. I've actually never managed to do it in one hour. You have to upload something every week based on a theme and then comment on everyone else's stuff. And that is, the whole purpose of that is to finish things, to like commit, like finish it. You can't. Not you have a it. tangible deadline. Yeah. Is that an online thing or you're actually in the room with people writing? It's, it's online. It's all online. Mm. Okay. 
it's a challenge for sure. Just because sometimes you write a song and you just want to like dwell over that song for like two weeks, but you just have to go again and go again and mm. go again. It's a really good like muscle to develop, I guess. Is it the same muscle for different mediums though? Like you said, it's kind of, you said before it's the same, but if you're getting into that headspace where you're writing a song, mm. is it precisely this headspace that you have when you're writing or when you're painting and you're lost in the moment or are there variations? Um, I think I'm still learning that because I've only done two terms of painting. <laughs> so okay. I'm still a baby painter, but um, for music, I think it depends what you're doing it for. Like for music, often I find it really hard to write a song that's not about a concept that I've already thought about and that I want to write about. It's like driving me to write about. Whereas, yeah, so if I'm writing about something like I'm de- I'm sol- solving that mystery of what is this what is this story and how should it be told kind of thing. And I guess that's the same for painting. But for me at the moment, because I don't have the skills yet in the painting sphere, I'm more like this is what I want to do and I have no idea how to do that. And that's what's more scary. So I'm just like, I don't want to do the paint there because it makes it look, oh, I've ruined it. Right. You it's know? harder to get into that free flowing Like flow, space. yeah. Because yeah, I right. guess maybe it takes time to build trust basically. Like I think, yeah, any creativity is just about trusting yourself that you'll come up with something. And whether it's a masterpiece or like the worst thing you've ever done, like you don't know basically. Actually something my painting teacher said today for our last lesson was like, um, happy accidents only happen when you just keep turning up, keep turning up, keep turning up. And then like something you're like, oh, actually that is so cool. I didn't even mean to do that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear that perspective that the courage comes from the experience in that medium, I guess. The courage to make that leap mm. and jump into the unknown. Yeah. It's scary. But the mm. more you do it, the less scary it becomes because you're like, I think it's just less scary because you know the feeling. You're like, oh, there's the scary. Yeah. <laughs> there's the thing I really am scared about. Okay, I've done that before. Let's just do it. Depends on your mood too. We should listen to some music. Let's do that. This is, we're going to play a very fresh very single. Fresh. Fresh. Uh, this is a new single from Featherstone. It's called Jackson. Mm-hmm.
Jackson by Featherstone. I want to talk a bit about the instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Firstly, uh, what was the instrument playing the solo? I wasn't sure if it was a guitar or if it was something else. Yeah. Um, so interestingly, when I left London, I started the track with Luke Brooking, a producer I've been working with in London. And then and we got to a really strong point with the song. And when I moved back to Sydney, after having like about six weeks off listening to it, I got back and I felt like it was so nearly there, but something in the mix just wasn't like sharing enough emotional. Like the song is about being alone on Christmas day. I wrote it two years ago on Christmas day in London and my partner was working and I am part of a big family and just didn't really know what to do with myself before Christmas. I was like, what am I going to do on Christmas day? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I decided to write a song and um, yeah, but in, in the emotion of it is like, it's like this is a really challenging time to be away from the people who I care about the most and I just didn't feel like it had the emotion like the softer emotions in it but didn't have like the grit in that emotion so I think if I'd released it that way it could have been totally cool but kind of a different vibe so I ended up teaming up with Sam Tomlinson an old friend from Sydney who um, when he heard it he was like I really like it and I've got some ideas so he ended up kind of coming in and putting that big fat synth bass before that it was um an electric bass and another synth bass that wasn't nearly as gnarly okay um and then in the um solo section we actually there was actually a guitar solo and when I, we were doing the last session together um sam was like oh i just hear this like melodic thing can i just try something out so it's basically a guitar and he starts like he's just doing a bunch of melodies with a shitload of distortion on them yeah um and a few different layers so it kind of sounds like a weird synth in a way but it's a guitar i almost had the feeling that because we talk about the electric mandolin a little bit on this show, mm-hmm. there's an artist called Rainwolf, and I've seen a performance where he plays an electric mandolin through, I love that you use the word gnarly, because I say that every podcast, <laughs> <laughs> through this a gnarly array of uh, fuzz and octave pedals, mm. and I kind of was almost getting that kind of vibe. Yeah. Like a smaller instrument pushed through a crazy pedal. Yeah. Actually, that's such a hard one because um, Sam wanted it to be even more distorted. And then all the other guys who I'd been recording with for a year who hadn't heard any of this stuff yet were like, oh my gosh, that's so distorted. It's too distorted. And at the end, I was like, I went for a, kind of a ballpark in the middle of those right. two. But he he sent me a version with the distortion out of it. And it just, it loses the whole point of it being there. Like it's there to be distorted and to be in your face and be like <laughs> do you like my sound effect then yeah that was <laughs> a good impression of the recent Featherstone single <laughs> um, we should yeah. also talk about loop yeah so when you play live you use mm-hmm. loop pedals mm-hmm. did you pick that up in London yeah so I had this I had this loop pedal the RC505 which is five channels and I've been using it more for like effects reasons and when I moved to London I started experimenting on it, like songwriting on it. Um, And then after doing like two band shows in London with Featherstone and paying, as a jazz musician, I always 
feel the need to pay my musicians. Like I've never not done that. So I was paying them out of my own pocket, but getting nothing on the gigs. And after about three shows, I was like, cool, I'm more broke now than when I started. So I need kind of a plan B unless I'm going to do one show a year. So I had always said I wanted to develop a solo show. So I started um, basically recording my the tunes into this loop pedal via my voice and then over time it became you know claps and percussion and um synth bass in there and I've kind of slowly developed these tunes using this um loop pedal which is now how I perform solo and it's uh, midi linked into a beats machine called the Volker sample it has something else in okay. there that I can't <laughs> anyway, I'm not so going to correct you because I don't know <laughs> yeah so loopy loopy goodness cool and you uh and you're sort of replicating that when you are playing live as well so yeah you're not, were so featherstone when you played the launch mm-hmm. at 505 mm. there was a band involved. there was a band so i did two shows solo i could they're kind of separate at the moment like i haven't okay. got one where i use the loops with the band bonnie songs does do that really well yeah um but at this stage i haven't really worked out a way to make it it yeah I should talk to her, get her tips. It's an evolving project. (laughs) Yeah, they're just different. Like, I think it would be really cool to have them together. But yeah, four, we did like five songs together as a band and then I did two with my loop pedal. So it's kind of, I imagine those two being kind of being like, I've got a backing choir with me and it's in my loop pedal. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. The, also you, so for Featherstone, you're an independent artist. Yes. And I saw, yeah, you posted something very interesting. You use the term independent artist. Uh, fatigue, mm-hmm. which I think is an interesting concept because I guess we should talk about the the rules that are kind of thrust upon you as mm-hmm. an independent artist, as under the guise of the path to success. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us how, why you're kind of, what they are and why you're shying away from it? Oh, this is such a complex question. Um, well, as an independent artist... Well, let me just start by saying that f- coming from jazz, there was one, I was still an independent artist, but being fr- in Australia and kind of coming out of uni, I feel like I had a support system of people who were kind of guiding me and I got given a bunch of, you know, radio contacts and I kind of designed my own way and, and it, you know, it was small, but it felt like it worked because it was within a small community and it kind of, you know, got me moving forward or whatever. And then I went to London and started a new project so starting from scratch basically new audience new city scary um and was trying to learn just how to get my music out in that context like electro pop singer songwriter uk and basically given guidance by other people it was like just research and and follow kind of you know what there's so many blogs to tell you what to do i did that um, I felt a little bit kind of jailed in by it, I guess. Like there is so much work to do as an independent artist. You can literally email a bajillion people and get zero replies and you just put in like 50, 100 hours and you just kind of left still feeling like there's nothing to come from it. And hopefully that's not what happens, but it can be what happens. Mm. And um, what I found basically was at the end of a release last year, I put kind of my all into this. I came up with a release plan. I really spent months on it. And at the end of it... Um, I realized that I hadn't really worked out what my expectations were from it and what the most important parts of the project were, like what I really cared about and, um, you know, how to judge whether it was a success or not. And I had a real come down from it. I wouldn't say I was like, you know, 
really depressed. I mean, no, I really was in my artistic self. I just didn't understand how I could put so much effort into something and it just not feel right or not feel like it reached the amount of ears that I wanted it to, you know. And I had a few breaks. I had a few months off, sorry, just not releasing anything and and speaking to some artists who are kind of on my page and know what I'm about and know what my music's like. And I'm kind of at a point now where I'm realizing that if I can't enjoy this process, like what is the point? Like this is such a huge thing to decide to do with your life. It's like there's no guidelines. There's no, um, you know, there's no guarantee of, of anything, success, no success. But the thing you can choose to do is things that make you happy and things that are aligned with your values and things that you know you'd be proud of looking back on like when you're 90 so that's kind of the angle the glass I'm looking through at the moment and I don't really know if that's getting me any closer to you know reaching the millions of people that I hope my music eventually will reach but I know that that still makes me happy no matter what do you know what I mean like still staying true to who I want to be as an artist and not selling out or trying to be someone that I'm not because I think people are going to like that like it doesn't lead to anything particularly good because the <coughs> pardon me, the concept of expectation is a big it's concept. And if there's no if the outcomes of whatever that expectation is does not involve any happiness mm. for you, then I guess yeah. Well there's there's just no end point. <laughs> there's no end point. You know, you can always be like that wasn't enough, that's not enough. So if you realign your value system and say, I wanna do it like this because of that and I want to share it with these five things because I believe in their value system you can align with why you chose those things and if you did them or not you know like if you did them or not is like cool I did the things I said I was going to do and I did the very best I could with the resources I had rather than like I put all this time in and I failed you know that's just it's so blanket and it's so devastating and mm. so easy to do because it's basically like very challenging yeah <laughs> So I've just I'm getting old, you know. Not thirty one <laughs> now and I feel like I just wanna have fun. I want music to be joyful. Like I want it to fill me with joy and mm. I need to find a way to do that. So yeah. That sounds like a good so approach. That was a big speech. I actually was just <laughs> as you were saying that, thinking about the the connection between you mentioned the idea of like not having an endpoint. Mm. It's kind of like science as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do a thing, you do an experiment, then you publish a journal paper. But what about if I did this? Mm. Well, what if we change mm. the temperature range over here? It just never ends. It doesn't. And I guess you just have to decide like how much time you want to invest in that thing and then move on from it. Like when, mm. you know, when to move on. It's always a really hard thing to do. I talk, I've got a friend, Matilda Abraham, who's another Sydney singer songwriter. And we talk about this a lot. Like at what point do you say, like you write a song, you record it. And then like 10 months later, you go to release it and you're like, oh, I just, I would have done it differently if it was, if I'd done it yesterday. Do you go back and do work on it again? Do you start from scratch again? Do you start in, like, do you know what I mean? There's just the, the possibilities are endless. And I think at the end of the day, you just have to make a decision and do something. Do and something. And then do something else and then do yeah. something else. I don't know. I think do something is good advice. Whatever. <laughs> just don't not do. <laughs> don't. Out of the fear. Yeah. Of yeah. the wrong do. That made no sense. <laughs> you know what I mean. Fear the wrong do. <laughs> oh. It is time for the segment. 
tell me a thing where I have a list of seven topics and I ask you to choose one. The topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, poetry, Patti Smith, punk rock, death and politics. So Brie, can you please tell me a thing? So the topic that I'm picking is death. Um, Slightly fragile topic for me um, this week because I've just lost a precious cousin. Um, And after moving back from London, I've had, um, yeah, a few hiccups in the road, I guess, in my family health-wise. Yeah, a few things that are really bringing me back down to earth, I would say. Um, And I guess something that I'm learning... I don't know whether it's from death, um, but I guess the concept of just understanding death, like that is such a challenging thing to understand. It's it's devastating and it's we don't get it as humans. You know, it's just it's too complex and scary to get. But um, my boyfriend, he he's had a heart condition since he was four, which means that he's got to be on blood thinners and he's had like three pulmonary embolisms, which is like a blood clot in his lung. He's fine now, but because of his, um, I guess, I don't know, close encounters with death, which sound weird, but, you know, he got through them. Um, he has this really cool perspective of just like every day is a gift, you know, like every day is something I may not have had, which is like a plus, you know, rather than the other way around where we're all thinking I'm scared of the end and I'm scared of the end and, and not thinking like you're just too I don't, it's hard to be grateful it's hard to be grateful every day you know what I mean but I think just his attitude has really rubbed off on me and just thinking like oh you just really have to like there's just no freaking time to waste like you just you have to do stuff that you love a lot or, and like not be scared to just take the biggest risks you, that you want to because we just don't know we just don't know anything we don't know how long we're going to be here and I always say to him, like, oh, what if, like, you know, you die and I have to grow it on my own? And I'm like, yeah, but I could be hit by a bus tomorrow, so whatever. I don't know. It's all it's all a big mystery. And, like, everything we do is a cool adventure if we look at it that way rather than, you know, a scary fear thing. Um, scary fear blob, I wanted to say, but I held back saying blob. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess that's just my perspective on that. I don't know whether that's... I think that it's interesting that we... In this society, because you mentioned the idea of like, you have these experiences and that makes you think, mm. but it's so easy to not think about mortality mm-hmm. in our modern society mm. because you don't, I mean, maybe 200 years ago, if you wanted to eat something, you had to go and kill it, right? Mm. And you're involved in that process. Right. But now we go to coals and everything's fine. And uh, <laughs> we just live in a weird bubble. Yeah, we live in this a very unusual bubble and mm-hmm. it takes those kind of unfortunately it takes those kind of like real r- very big events to make you realize how fragile you are definitely definitely and i think um yeah i think although those things are tragic and heartbreaking um i mean i think it's good to be reminded how fragile we are because if like it's good to wake up like it's good to just remember that as much as we can, even though that seems like a really weird way to live your life. I mean, I would rather be grateful as much as I can and just think about, I mean, like, I guess, yeah, the small things, you know, like making time for having a milkshake with your nephew and not worrying about the email that you didn't write and not worrying about the email that got angry at you, you know, just like being able to just, 
I don't know, be as present as you can with what's important. They're, it's hard though. I really like Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, mm-hmm. like the author of Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And his book, The Silmarillion, it has something which is, I think, very interesting. The idea that the gift that the like god of that world gave to humans was mortality. And so it's the idea that when you are, because it's a finite time, you have to do the thing now. Mm, there's, right. There's not, they're not like elves. It gives elves. you purpose, I guess. It gives you purpose. It yeah. gives you meaning. It's not like the elves who are kind of immortal. And that yeah, was... that's kind of a weird way of looking the at it, The way he pitches it is that it's the gift that he's given to humankind. That's so interesting because if you had no end date, you just would sit on your ass and like Why get watch Netflix bed? forever. <laughs> sure. If Netflix was a thing in that world. But <sighs> that's, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's really good to ask yourself. I had a therapy session recently and she said to me, I was trying to decide on some career changes and choices. I'm thinking of doing music therapy next year. And I was just like, how am I going to become a student again? Like mm. earn no money. And like, I'm 31. What, mm. what, how does anyone do that? Um, and she was saying like, she said something about future memories where instead of looking at like the next two years and like just thinking small term, like if you were 90, if we're lucky enough to get to 90 and look back on your life, and see the things that you decided to fill your time with, would you be proud of yourself or would you be interested? Like if that was someone else's life, would you be like, oh, that was a really cool thing to choose rather than just being like, how am I going to get through the next year or whatever? It's like, how can, what would, what do you want filled within the years of your existence? You know, yeah. like go find them, just do it. Like yeah. there's no, just. We're all characters in our own book. Yeah, exactly. And you evolving. have to be, you just have to, yeah, make the choice and. Or just be maybe aware of what you want. That's a really hard thing to be to do because you can just do routine, 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 and then like Tuesday you're like, why was I in that job? Yeah. What is that about? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us, <laughs> and thank I you. It wasn't for too morbid. The, no, it's fine. You did it's ask good. me about death. It's so. good to talk about death sometimes. <laughs> Thanks for coming on to Women Who Rock. It's really been great having a chat to you. Thank you. It's been great to talk to you. Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of Do S E R 107.3.